Good morning, good morning. So good to be here with you all this morning. What an honor it is to be here at the Keene Seventh-day Adventist Church. If you don't know me, my name's Anthony Leiter. I'm a pastor from Southern California, currently studying at Andrews University Theological Seminary. And I'm just honored to be here. How exciting it is to be here today. Um, now, first of all, elephant in the room, maybe some of you know, maybe some of you don't. Pastor Michael had mentioned that he had, had mentioned to many of you. Um, I'm here uh, this weekend interviewing uh, for the uh, young adult pastor position at this church. Which is an exciting thing, super cool. And I, I'm, I'm just here to, I guess I just wanna express gratitude uh, for being considered, for being here, for your hospitality, uh, for the warm welcome. It's been an honor. I'm already, already feel like I've made friends. Uh, so man, I feel like I have gained a treasure trove already. So thank you. Without further ado, I'm, I'm excited to, uh, to dwell in the ancient words with you this morning. So why don't we pray? We'll dig right in. Jesus, thank you so much for your good, good love for us. Um, God, keep thinking of the words of that song, I will make room for you to do whatever you want, God, and that's, I think, my prayer this morning. Um, yeah, God, that you would, you would inhabit, that you would speak, that you would give us ears to hear what you have to say, and uh, we pray this all in the name of the one who died, arose, Jesus, amen. Amen, amen. So, my question for you this morning is, y'all ever had a crush Y'all ever had a crush? Now, maybe you, uh, you're, you have a significant other right now, or you're, you're dating, or maybe you've been married already for a decade or two or three. Uh, but what I want you to do is a little thought experiment. Think back to the moment at the beginning when it was just a crush, when it was simply a crush, when maybe the feelings had not quite yet been communicated, when it was just a little pitter-patter in the heart when it was just a crush. For my single people in the audience, it's okay. I feel your pain. I'm with you. I'm a single boy myself. So uh, actually, I'm kidding. I love being single. It's fantastic. And uh, I'm sure if you're single, you maybe at some point in your life, maybe, just maybe, you have had a crush. So as you think about this crush that perhaps you've had in your life, I want you to think back to, you know, the fluttering of the heart, the, uh, the sweat on the back of the neck, the, uh, you know, shaky voice, the shaky hands. I want to tell you a little story about a crush I had. When I was in high school, I went to academy, and uh, I, was, uh, I had this crush on this girl named Amy. And uh, Amy and I, we actually ended up dating. We went on a mission trip together. We were building a school in Fiji. It's an awesome mission trip, really, really powerful experience. And uh, we, uh, throughout the course of the mission trip, we were, you know, we were digging all day. We were laying bricks. Um, and there's something about like, doing service together, that I think, that sort of bonded us together. And... At the end, I'm like, man, I need to ask Amy to banquet. So I asked her to banquet, and she said, bet, I'm in. I'm down. And I was like, sweet, let's go. We're good to go. So what was happening was is a, maybe about a month after we got back from mission trip, banquet was set to happen. And I, throughout the, kind of that month, I was sort of like, man, I was sweating, I was, uh, and I, I was nervous. I was thinking, man, I think I want to ask Amy to actually to be my girlfriend, to make this actually official. And so I did. So we ended up dating. We had only been dating for maybe three or so weeks uh, or so before banquet. Then banquet arrived, and I was thinking, okay, I think it's time to make the move. I think it's time to kiss for the first time. Now, your boy was a late bloomer. I was 18. I had not kissed a girl before I was 18. And I, maybe I wasn't a late bloomer to you. Some of you parents in the room are just like, man, 35 is, is, is the correct age. But for me at the time, I was thinking, man, I'm a late bloomer. Man, all of the homies had already had a kiss and I was the only one left. I was like, no, the squad all has, has a kiss, but I don't. What's going on? So I was like, okay, it's time to make a move. It's time to make this 
happen. So I'm trying to create my plan. For our banquet, we went to a, a structure in Seattle called the Space Needle. It kind of looks like a UFO, and it's a really tall structure. And there's a restaurant at the top, so we had this beautiful evening, beautiful dinner. And I remember uh, it was just such a fantastic evening, super fun with all of our friends. We're just kicking in. We're eating great food, beautiful view. And all throughout the evening, I'm trying to figure out a moment to, to make the move. But your boy's a little bit of a softy. I'm a little bit of a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a romantic. And so for me, I'm like, man, I'm try- I, I want to make it, you know, just special. I, I don't want it just to be any, I want it to, you know, have a little private moment, make it special, make it unique. But I couldn't catch a moment. And so all throughout the evening, I'm like scrambling, I'm sweating, I'm nervous. I'm like, oh man, when am I going to make this happen? And, and the homies are sliding in like, yo, did you make the move? I'm like, no, I haven't, I haven't done it yet. And so over time, I'm just, oh man, I got to do it. I got to do it. And as the evening goes on, I'm getting more nervous and more nervous and more nervous. Number one, because I'm running out of time. And number two, because I didn't know how she was going to respond. She had said yes to be my girlfriend, but I wasn't sure if, you know, now was the moment, now was the right time. And so as the evening goes on, we get to this point where we leave the Space Needle and we're driving, we go to this kind of overlook over Seattle and it's just this beautiful, beautiful landscape where you can sort of see the mountains on one end and there's the sunset, it's this beautiful vista. And we all get out of the vans that we're taking, we walk over to the edge and we're looking over and I, I kind of, you know, s- slide over to the, to the side, kind of create a little room, you know. I will make room for you. Oh, sorry. So I'm, I'm making room. And so I, I make a little space and I was just like, hey, Amy. And she, was, and she looks up at me, eyes twinkling in the moonlight. Yes. And I was like, nothing. And I walk away. <laughs> and I run back to the van because I was scared. Your boy was scared. I was super scared. Because isn't it scary to be vulnerable? Isn't it scary to be vulnerable? So as the story kind of continues, we get into the van and I'm thinking, oh snap, I'm running out of time. We're headed back to the academy. What am I going to do? What am I gonna do? And so as we're getting closer and closer, we're in this 12 passenger van. We've got a couple people behind me, people in front of me, chaperone in the front. And I'm thinking, it just needs to happen right now. It needs to happen in the van. Like, because I'm running out of time, we're getting back to the academy. And you know, if any of you went to academy or maybe some of you, you were going to academy right now, you, Maybe uh, there's certain rules around physical affection. There were those rules at my academy. So I was like, man, we're off campus. See, it's time to make the move. And I'm not saying this as, you know, those of you who are in academy, don't follow my example. But I'm saying this is how I was thinking at the time. So I was feeling, man, this is the time. This is the moment. This is my moment. And so as we're getting closer and closer, we're maybe 15 minutes away from campus. I'm thinking, okay, it's either now or never. Like, I need to have this story. If I go back empty-handed, the squad is not going to let me live this down. Like, the homies are going to, they're going to, like, crucify, like, it's not going to be good. So I, I'm like, okay, man, I, I, like, I need this story to tell. And I can't just lie. You know, you can't just, it's not the same. They can see right through it. People who know you well, they can see right through it. So I'm like, man, I just got to, it, it has to be real. So I'm like, okay, now, now is the moment of truth, do or die. Let's freeze. Let's pause. Let's set the scene. We're in this 12-passenger van. A 12-passenger van. It's very quiet in the van. Everyone's really, really quiet, maybe murmuring softly. I think the two behind me were asleep. There's heritage singers playing softly on the radio. <laughs> Can you reach my friend? I got some of the, the older Gen X, uh, the, the younger boomers with that one. You know that song. Uh, and it's very quiet in the van. <sighs> and I choose this moment to go in. 
And now being an inexperienced kisser, I, was, I, I didn't really know the technique. I, I didn't know, you know, if you're supposed to go in like a rattlesnake or, if, you know, you're supposed to, see, I'm in Texas, I gotta make a rattlesnake reference. Uh, I, you know, I didn't know if I was supposed to like go in, attack, you know, swoop in like a hawk, you know, you know, you know kind of, you know, I, I wasn't sure the technique. So I just, I just sort of winged it. And I just, and we were, keep in mind, we're sitting side by side. So we're sitting side by side and I just turned suddenly, no warning, I don't say a word. I turned suddenly and I just go, <laughs> I just go straight in. She was not prepared at all in the least. She was absolutely not prepared. She was like so taken aback. She was like, she, she escapes like a what? And then I just made contact. And in my head, I was thinking, I'm not even going for the lips. I'm not going to be too ambitious. Because so, we only have 15 minutes. We're in a van. So I'm like, I'm just going to go for the, you know, the solid cheek kiss. So I go in for the cheek kiss. But it gets awkward because she, she turns at the last second. And so I get kind of that awkward like corner angle. It's, is a little bit of a, and then to make it worse, it's the loudest kiss you've heard in your life. It literally, it's like, it literally sounds like from a cartoon. It was like, and I'm in this quiet van. Every, immediately, everyone turns and looks at us. She turns red. She's Hispanic, but she turns red. She turns super red. I'm black, but I turn red. <laughs> and she didn't say anything. She did not say a word. She just looks forward the whole time. And to be honest, we never spoke of it again. We never spoke of it again. And that story brings to mind a question for me. Why is it so scary to be vulnerable? Why is it so scary to be vulnerable? I would submit to you that it's scary because we are not sure how the other party will respond. There's a little bit of uncertainty there, right, with how the other party will respond. Will I be met with reciprocation, with openness, with welcoming, or will I be met with judgment or even anger, rejection? And I would argue that's the exact same feeling of the heart that we wrestle with with God. I feel like in a room this size, maybe many of you are carrying heavy things this morning. A little, a little bit about me, I, I'm just, uh, I'm a really big fan of just kind of going there. Um, so I, I feel like I just want to verbalize and vocalize in the room and acknowledge that perhaps many of you are carrying heavy burdens this morning. Um, Things, things that, there are many things that can be heavy, right? Let's talk about trauma. You know, this could be a whole list. Uh, those of you who are a little older in life, a little more seasoned, a little wise, you've been following Jesus far longer than me, you've seen some things in your life. You've carried heavy burdens. You have felt the weight. Perhaps you have some sort of family secret that only you know about, only you carry, that weighs heavily. And there are, there are many things that we carry, mistakes, secret addiction, illnesses, aging family members, financial stresses and worries. Um, perhaps there's a piece of your identity you've never shared with anyone and you fear ever verbalizing it of the, what the response would be. And so here we are all in the same room, all carrying heavy things, all together, all in the space. And we all show up and we're presenting in this way. We say happy Sabbath, but beneath the surface, we're, we, we, we're all carrying heavy heavy things. And so my intuition 
is that rather than being vulnerable, this is just what I've experienced from pastoring, from living, I'm 31, so I'm not super old, but from living and pastoring a little bit, I've experienced my intuition, my guess would be that for a lot of us, it's a lot easier to simply put on the mask and perform than it is to be vulnerable. And I, my intuition is that because that's how I feel. And so what I want to do just for the next couple minutes here, I'm going to, I want to show that from the text, just from a little, little couple pieces of things that Jesus said. Um, here's a little bit of the roadmap. I just have four verses for you out of Matthew chapter six. We're just going to go one, two, three, four. So if you're counting the clock, you're, 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 you're waiting for lunch, your boy's hungry. So we're going to make it, we're going to make it out. Uh, let's, let's just go to the first verse here. I mean, we're in Matthew chapter six. And I'm going to read verse 5 now. It says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, this is the Sermon on the Mount, right? Jesus is one of Jesus' most popular and famous sermons in the Gospels. And Jesus comes through, and he, he's doing this teaching, and he gets to this point on prayer. And he says, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, who stand in front of everyone else and pray loudly so that others can hear, so they can be seen in public praying. And I really, really found this, uh, this text interesting. Uh, and one thing that I really found interesting was the word hypocrite. Now, we all know the word hypocrite. It's a super common word. Maybe we've used it before, heard it a lot. But this word hypocrite is a really interesting word in the original language. In the, in the Greek, it's a word called hypocrites, and it essentially means actor means actor. Now, in the, in the ancient Greek plays and, and theater, they would, what they would do is they would wear these masks and put these masks on, and that would be the hypocrite. You, you would be an actor if you'd have this mask on, and then all these masks were super expressive, and then they would go throughout these little you know, motions, and you could tell which character was which because of the mask that they wore. And so Jesus essentially here is using theater language when he says, do not be like the hypocrites. So essentially, we could almost retranslate to say, do not be like the actors who stand in front of everyone and act. I think Jesus speaks here to an important truth. And hear my heart on this. We don't know each other super well. I know a few of you. I've I've, I've made a few new friends. Um, But my heart in saying what I'm about to say is not condemnatory, but rather together, that there is a tendency of the religious to act a play of their own faith rather than genuinely experiencing it. There's a tendency of the religious to act religious and not have it reach the heart. So I believe Jesus says this happens in essentially two ways. The first is horizontally. This happens horizontally. What does horizontal mean? It means in community. It happens in community. And what does this really look like? This looks like, man, God forbid anyone catch you eating out on a Sabbath. Man, God forbid you're not a vegan. See. God forbid someone catch you at a low moment. God forbid someone catch you at church not wearing your Sabbath vest. God forbid you're in the eyes of others. It's the optics, right? It's the optics. We all know about optics in the age of social media. We all know about optics. Everyone kind of cultivates an image of themselves. It's this sense that I have to perform for others so that other people don't think that I'm a bad Christian and I'm a bad Adventist. The sense that, man, I need to perform. I hope no one ever thinks that I'm not there, that I'm not spiritually okay. And I think this 
this sense happens to us regularly and deeply. So Jesus says, don't be like the actors who, who simply project faith rather than experiencing it in the heart. But he also says this happens another way. I'm going to skip to verse 7 uh, now. We'll circle back to verse 6. I'm going to skip to verse 7. Jesus says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. The second way Jesus says this happens is vertically. This happens between us and God. This happens between us and God vertically. What does this look like? He says there are religious folk who go about their life. It's not projecting or acting for others, but actually in their connection with the divine. They're projecting and they're acting. They're putting on a mask. And he says there are these Gentiles, pagans, who think that they, the way that they relate to God is not through relationship, but rather repetition and effort. What's interesting about this is it comes very close to something I think often happens for us that we slip into, which is a pagan understanding of how we relate to God. We see this in the story of Elijah and the pillar of flame, right? Where Elijah's doing the thing. You know, you've read the story. Elijah's doing the thing. We have the prophets of Baal. They go up, they're cutting themselves, they're dancing around, right? And what they're doing is they're trying to conjure. They're trying to manipulate. They're trying to if I can just persuade, then the gods will listen to me. If I can just pray harder, do more, be perfect enough, act righteous enough, do enough works, then God will be compelled to respond to me. But Jesus says, it doesn't work that way. So don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't pray, don't have a spiritual life. I'm not saying don't read the Bible, don't journal, don't spend time in the word, don't have you know spiritual practices. I'm saying the lens in which we see it through and the heart from which it comes. Am I seeing myself through the lens of family or as a producer, a slave or a son, right? Okay, I'm gonna move on. I'm gonna move on. We're blazing through verses. We're gonna go back to verse six because I think there's a really important moment here. Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And I just wanna pause here because uh, I think this is, this is really something really deeply profound uh, here. Um, there's something I think Jesus says is it, like crucial and necessary about getting alone with God in a secret place where no one can see you. That something happens in that space that can't happen anywhere else. A good story for this is Moses in, 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 in Exodus. This is Exodus chapter three. I don't think I have this one on the screen, but it's Exodus chapter three, verse four. Moses, right, he's on the mountain of God. And God appears in a burning bush, right? It says the angel of the Lord came and it, it, this bush was on fire and it was burning but did not burn up. And it's an interesting scene. Go back and read this in Exodus chapter three. It's really weird. It's a weird scene. It's really interesting, intriguing. Moses, he, he, he's walking and it almost seems as if the bush was always there. And you get the sense, and it kind of makes you ask questions like, where did this bush come from? What was the bush always, is the bush always burning? Is it just here even when I'm not? It's just in this, it's almost like Moses stumbles across the bush in this hidden little nook, this cranny. Michael took me around the church uh, yesterday, and there's a lot of nooks and crannies in here. It's a little secret, little, you know, if the apocalypse happens, we're good. We're safe. We're good to go. We can just hide in the church. <laughs> it's interesting that it, it just seems to kind of happen where Moses seems to stumble across God in this secret place. And the verse that really gets me is verse 4 where it says, when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see, that's when he spoke. And it teaches me, 
there's something important about attention. That when you're just in the secret space and you turn your attention, it's not an act of effort or works or some sort of spiritual life legalism, but rather there's something about attention that God, there's a certain perhaps thing God wants to say or do that he can't until you make the space. Like the song said, I will make room until you make the room, until you make the decision. This is right core, this is core Adventist idea. This is core Adventist ideas, right? This is perhaps one of the most core Adventist ideas that God is not a God of manipulation and power, but rather love and free will. This is actually one of the reasons why I find the Adventist vision so compelling because God will never force you to love him. You have to choose. God will never force you. He respects you far too much. He loves you far too much to force you to love him and to make room for him in your life. This is what I've experienced in my life, that when I pause, make room for that secret space, God's like, okay, now you're ready. Now you're ready. Okay, final point, number four, and then we're done. Jesus says, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask. Before you ask him, he already knows. This is perhaps what I've learned about prayer. As I said before, I'm 31, so I have not lived, you know, some of the lives as such as you who have a lot more wisdom than me, but perhaps in my meager years, I have learned that prayer is actually not for God. Prayer is for me. Now, of course, God wants to have a relationship with us, intimacy, of course. This is, right, God's, God's dream, creating humans to love and to be loved, right, to have community. But prayer is not for him, but rather for me, we, we see in the scriptures, there's something in my heart. I forget my identity. I forget that I'm a son and I end up acting like a slave. I end up thinking that I need to manipulate God in order to listen to me. That I need to somehow conjure his presence in my life. When Jesus says, your father already knows what you need. You don't even have to ask. You don't even have to say it. You don't even have to verbalize it. He knows what you need already. He's a good father. How much more will your father give you good gifts? So there's something so necessary for me to come back to the secret place. And when I do, when I crack open the text and I sit in that space, I'm reminded, wait a minute, I'm actually a son. I'm actually enough. I'm actually loved. I'm actually valued immeasurably. I'm actually loved with a relentless love. And that actually never, ever goes away, no matter what I've done, no matter how long it's been, no matter how long it's been since I cracked open the prophet material, since I cracked open the scriptures, since I set aside time, every time I can come back and God, like the father and the prodigal son, says, my son, my daughter, you were lost, but now you're found. Welcome home. Welcome home. So this is really, really hard uh, because this is another one of those phrases that I hope you hear my heart. Religion is much easier than honesty. But the trade-off is actually freedom and abundant life. And this is, this is the gospel. This is, this is why Paul's so excited in the New Testament. Because he says, because Jesus has risen from the dead, there's a different way that we relate to God, not as slaves, not as workers, not as producers, not as performers in a play where we have to make sure we get all the lines right, but rather as family. 
rather as family. I have a video for you. It's from one of my uh, favorite Disney movies as we close. Uh, the movie Mulan, maybe you've, uh, you've, you, you've seen it. It's one of my favorite. I'll Make a Man Out of You, classic. You got Mushu, Eddie Murphy, and you know, Prime, classic, classic Disney. Uh, you know, I'll debate with you about it being the best Disney movie. If you disagree, we can come, you know. Sorry, Encanto. Sorry, Lion King. No, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying not, I'm trying not to step on toes. Encanto was really good. Oh, okay, sorry, I'm getting, I'm getting sidetracked. Um, I'm gonna show this video um, and then I have one little thing to say and then we'll, we'll pray, we'll end. Let's, let's watch this together. Father, I brought you the sword of Shan Yu and the crest of the emperor. They're gifts to honor the Fa family. The greatest gift and honor is having you for a daughter. I've missed you so. I've missed you too, Baba. Woo, it's a bit of a tearjerker. I told you your boy's a softie. And I'll cry in every movie. I've cried in every Pixar movie. I will cry in the shower alone. <laughs> There's an ancient story a lot of you know about two sons. One son asks his father, give me my inheritance before your death. He takes the money, spends it all recklessly, wastes the money. He ends up in a pig pen. The other son stays home. And the son who is in the pig pen, he thinks to himself, the text tells us, he thinks, should I not go back home to my father's house where at least the slaves have food to eat? And in Greek, the word, he says servant, slave, but in Greek, the word servant and slave is the same word. He says, at least the slaves have food to eat. At least they have better than this. So he goes back home, maybe stumbling along the way. He gets home, and as we know, the father runs to him. He falls at the feet of the father. And he says, oh, father, could I not become a slave in your house? I know that I insulted you. I know that I spent all your money. Could I not at least, at least become a slave? And what does the father say? He doesn't even answer the question. He says, my son, he was dead, but now is alive. He was lost, but now is found. He puts a ring on his finger, a robe on his back. He says, come, let us kill a fatted calf. Let us celebrate because you're home. And it reminds me of something important that somewhere along the way, the son forgot he was a son and thought he was a slave. And he thought he had to work for it. He thought he had to perform. And so he says, well, at least let me just perform. Let me put on the mask. Let me do all the right things so that you can love me, so that I can have safety and food. The father says, I never for a second ever saw you as anything less than a son. And so I wonder for you, have you taken off the mask? When's the last time you stopped pretending, got alone with God, and were honest? 
When's the last time you stopped performing because of what it means to be a good Adventist? And we're honest. And again, don't hear what I'm not saying. God calls us into ways that are life that are not death. But I have found in my life that every time, no matter how long it's been, no matter how much of a silly boy that I've been, how many mistakes I've made, and perhaps maybe if we get to know each other more, I can tell a little bit more of my story, but there's a lot in it, a lot of pain, tragedy, death, mistakes, mess, a lot of running. But every time I've come back to that place, God always greets me as a son, every time. And the same is true for you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, good God, thank you so much for identity. God, you've spoken a strong word of identity over us this morning. I'm, rem I'm reminded of it. Thank you so much that you call us son, you call us daughter, you call us found, you call us friend. God, somehow we forget these things. We think we need to be like the pagans, God. We think we need to conjure you. We think that by effort, by repetition, by working, we can get you to somehow respond, answer, love us. But God, the beautiful truth and the scandalous truth is that you already do. So God, we receive that this morning. We receive the word of the gospel that we are found. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.